Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, you are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt, and with me, as always, are my friends and co-hosts, Carl Truman and Amy Bird. Now, you already know that our friend Carl Truman here has been in the midst of preparing for a transition to Grove City College, the beautiful Grove City College, wonderful institution. Carl, of course, we know is a renowned scholar who will be there. And we're all anticipating that this is going to be a really good fit as well, Carl. So congratulations on that. But before you go, Amy has uncovered some, I think, very helpful tips for you in your transition as you go to a new place some things to help you make some friends. Amy, what did you find? Yeah, so we're talking about friendship today. So I thought about our friend Carl mm-hmm. and how when he moves, he's going to be making new friends. Yep. We hope. We, hope, we, we hope. hope that he can make I mean, new friends. We know friends. it's going to be a good fit. Right. But we hope that he'll right. make some friends too. So um, who better to go to to help our friend Carl than Dale Carnegie, oh, how right. to make friends and influence people. So Excellent. I just had a couple of tips for you, Carl. And I think this will help you, especially with your British heritage and the difficulty that you may have mm, making friends. So here's one principle that you need to know. Don't criticize, condemn, or complain. I never do that. I so know. That, that comes naturally to <laughs> okay, me. Okay, good. This one you might need a little more coaching in. Become genuinely interested in other people. Yes. That could be a stretch. <laughs> no, that could be a real stretch. <laughs> have you never been genuinely interested in me? Is that what we're saying? Can I go and check my, my, right. my, my diary? <laughs> okay. Even more challenging... Is this one, principle two and part two, smile. (laughs) He is British, remember. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just name one more, maybe. There's a lot. We might need to bring these up throughout the podcast, but um, get the other person saying yes, yes, immediately in conversation. I, I, I do that all the time. When I say to people... Should I leave now? <laughs> yes, yes, immediately. <laughs> so those are a couple tips to chew on for now, and really maybe good. we'll return to this later. That's really good. We'll yeah. help him through yeah. this process, yeah. Todd. Yeah. Well, Amy, you, you bring up the topic of friendship, which is timely because your latest book deals with friendship. Specifically, you grab hold of a, a third rail issue. Mm. In other words, you grab hold of, of something that is perilous, as you have already discovered on social right. media. I have found it fascinating mm-hmm. that, uh, that even before the book is actually released there are so many reviews coming forth i know like they already media. know the content <laughs> of the, the book that has I, not yet I, been put I'm, in anyone's hands amazed. except for the, the possible I, endorsers I know. I know i have i have been amazed mm-hmm. at the prescience of some of your critics but the topic of your book is friendships between men and women mm-hmm. and one of the things that you do in the book is you give a a different uh, uh, option or an alternative to what has come to be known as the Pence rule mm-hmm. or in past generations, the Graham rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't be alone with a woman, that kind of thing. Now, we've had conversations about this. You're skeptical about the Pence rule. I'm skeptical about a dogmatic application of the Pence rule, but I'm a little bit more friendly towards it perhaps than you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know where this conversation is going to go, but we could have a good fight, which is inter- entertaining. <laughs> um, but explain if you can the thesis of the book okay 
And then we'll get into what you are saying and what you're not saying. Right. So um, the book is called Why Can't We Be Friends? And there are definite reasons for why Mike Pence or Billy Graham would have a rule like Mm -hmm. they had. Mm -hmm. And um, neither of them ever said that other leaders need to take this rule and apply it to themselves. Um, You know, neither of them were advocating for some kind of movement, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of happened that way. And not only leaders now, but just uh, people in general are adapting this rule. And so in the book, the first part of the book actually answers the question why men and women can't be friends. Mm -hmm. So like in the table of contents, I get to some theological questions there too. We're letting the wrong voices tell us who we are. You know, do we have a proper anthropology? Do we understand how God created us for fellowship with a triune God in eternity? And then that fellowship overflows with one another. Do we, we don't view one another holistically. A lot of this thinking has become reductionistic, which ends up in if a man and a woman have lunch together, you know, mm-hmm. well, that inevitably is going to lead to an affair. We don't know our mission We must misunderstand the nature of purity. I really enjoyed writing a chapter on purity. And it was a little sad for me to find uh, the most rich writing on purity among Roman Catholics, Hmm. where I really would have loved to have seen more Protestants writing so richly about purity. But I think in a lot of the Puritan works, I was, or not Puritan, but yeah, Puritan-like works that I was looking at Protestant stuff, it was more about avoidance. Yeah, and Carl can correct me, but Roman Catholics probably have a more developed theology of the body than Protestants do historically. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I think so, particularly in the in the wake of John Paul II, for mm-hmm. whom the you know, embodiment and theology of the body was a key theme of yeah. his mm-hmm. the, the theological aspect of his pontificate. Right. And, I mean, we had Archbishop Chaput we on did. the program last year, and of course there's an excellent section in his Strangers in a Strange Land book on, right. on the nature of purity as a positive virtue. Yeah, I build on that in the chapter, yeah, actually. Yeah. So, it, his it, work was very helpful. Yeah. And and Von Hildebrand, too, was very helpful yeah. in, in that. The other ones are, we're immature and fearful. We've forgotten what friendship really is. I think that's a great conversation to have right now in the social media times where you have 7,000 friends on Facebook and it means nothing. But if I were to suggest that friendship between the sexes can be a holy thing, all of a sudden everyone's up in arms. So which one is it? You know. Mm-hmm. Also, we've overlooked our biblical status as brothers and sisters. And so those categories right there in part one, if any of those, if we fall under that, there's very good reasons why we can't be friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I would apply boundaries in a Mike Pence fashion right. with somebody who's led by fear or somebody who is immature in their thinking. Like, we need to use wisdom and discernment in all of our relationships. Right. And I think that something like the Mike Pence rule kind of makes you feel safe, mm-hmm. but uh, you don't then need to exercise wisdom and discernment as much. You just put these blanket uh, fences down on everybody. Okay. And there are times where, I mean, we need to have proper boundaries and fences. I'm right. not saying don't do that. I'm right. not saying go freely, you know, naively mm-hmm. enter into relationships and go seek out a bunch of people from the opposite sex. But then the second part of the book, I really tried to give a good explanation of what friends do. Mm-hmm. And, to give a better understanding of what friendship really is, especially within the church, friends promote holiness. And I think we need a good understanding of what that means and how friends view one another. And our whole way of thinking needs to be reformed to, to scripture. Yeah. So some of the questions are going to come in in terms of categories. I'm with you in what you're describing there. Mm-hmm. Where where it gets dicey is in some of the, the applications. So, for instance, 
some people who are very, very pro the Pence rule are going to hear what you're saying and, and immediately think that you're advocating, for instance, that I can begin meeting a woman from my church for lunch on a routine basis or for dinner on a routine basis. And, you know, I come home in an evening and tell my wife, oh, yeah, you know, I got home at eight because I was with so-and-so lady from church, you know, for dinner. And so kind of help me unpack how we think about my wife wouldn't think a thing about it if I met a man from church for for lunch or for dinner. Hey, I'm I'm going out with Tim. We're going to eat and then talk about some things at church. It doesn't even cause a second thought. But if I were to say, oh, Amy's in town and she and I are having dinner together, would my wife be right in thinking, hmm, that's different? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it all depends on circumstances, Mm -hmm. right? And communication and marriage and maturity Mm -hmm. in marriage. You know, I've been married for 21 years Mm -hmm. and my husband and I have had to have a lot of conversations about this because he is a public school teacher. He works with a lot of women. And so in the beginning of our marriage, we did do that Mike Pence type. We heard it on the radio. Mm -hmm. You know, if you love your spouse, you're never going to accept a ride from Mm -hmm. um, somebody from the opposite sex. You're not going to be seen eating lunch with them Mm -hmm. in a restaurant that's a public place and all these things. This is how you protect your marriage. And we believed that. And what we found out right away is that It's not so black and white, especially people like my husband who work in an environment where he respects the women he Mm -hmm. works with. He enjoys their presence. Well, some of them. anyway, And, you know, he wants to promote them, not make them feel reduced in any way. So when he and another woman are sent as representatives for a conference and it's lunch break Mm -hmm. and he doesn't have very many men there, but he can also seek out that or this woman who doesn't know many other people there either whom he's with says do you want to grab a sandwich Mm -hmm. what does he do in that situation like and these are things that he talked to me about and i talked to him about and we had to come to mature case-by-case decisions Mm -hmm. and we have good communication with each other over that type of thing but meanwhile i see the opposite like i see the extremes from christian leaders on twitter like when everybody was up in arms about the mike pence rule one uh, popular pastor and author tweeted I might give a woman a ride to the hospital if a bone was sticking out. Oh, goodness. And other pastors and leaders were retweeting it saying, yep, pretty much. Oh, no. I I mean, let me throw a spanner into the works of that one here. Um, When I was an undergraduate, I was at a church where the pastor was a very well-known British evangelical figure, had a wide speaking ministry and would always travel with his male assistant. And sometimes they would stay in the same hotel room. So say to save money. Uh, well, and, and that's very normal. Totally yeah, acceptable. Among yeah. men on church staff, we share hotel rooms and we go places. Ends up running away, leaving his wife and running off with this male assistant. Yeah. You know, this idea that we have that sexual temptation is just heterosexual temptation mm-hmm. is utterly naive, mm-hmm. yeah. particularly in the current day right. and age. And if you can apply the logic of that rather asinine statement that you just quoted mm-hmm. from some pastor out there somewhere if you can apply the logic of that then you have to apply it to men too Mm -hmm. because what makes you think that you're only going to be vulnerable to heterosexual temptation let let a man take care if he thinks he stands lest he fall Mm -hmm. so what you could actually end up with that sort of logic is a situation where really you can have no friendships with anybody sure 
uh, except mm. you just happen to find a woman at some point, you can marry her, and, mm. and, and then you're safe. But I think the, the, <laughs> the real problem with a lot of the discussion is we're prioritizing heterosexual temptation mm-hmm. in an era when really that's not legitimate. Mm-hmm. That's In fact, that's thoroughly naive, and we need to recast our thinking about friendship mm-hmm. that takes account of the real cultural situations which we find right. ourselves and the real sinful nature of the human heart. Yeah, yeah and we yeah. need to learn how to properly orient yeah. our affections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that means offering them back to God and then loving people well. And, like, just your scenario that you were just saying, Todd, about, like, if you you know, called up Karen and said, oh, I'm, ta- I'm taking Amy to dinner tonight. Yeah. Um, friends don't try to get in between someone else's marriage. Right. So friends would be like, hey, I'm in town, especially if yeah. in a heterosexual kind of friendship. Yeah. Hey, you and Karen want to meet for dinner. Yeah, exactly. You know, like exactly. now would there be a, would it be wrong if Karen said, oh, I got to work tonight, but totally go, you know, right. I don't see a problem with that. Right. Right. But at the same, friendship isn't exclusive. Mm-hmm. Marriage is exclusive. Right, right. You know, we have tons of friends. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is a, a big category that people kind of mix up a lot of the time. Yeah. And so in that same example, then you happen to be in town, you have a daughter that goes to James Madison University. So and we know each other. We've been friends for several years. Obviously, if we're going to get together, one of your questions is, oh, and you're bringing Karen too, right. not because you are afraid because if you don't, we might end up in a hotel room together. Your thing is, <laughs> we are friends. Bring, right. It's not because I think we need this. a babysitter. Yeah, right. It's because I genuinely, okay. since I'm your friend, I also want to be your wife's right. friend. Right. Yeah. And I think we should not forget that Jesus had fairly intimate friendships with women. Mm-hmm. Well, and what's interesting, Carl, I want you to go with that. But you, you bring that up because we were talking just a little while ago where someone who has kind of a faithful readership has just you know posted recently on social media that Jesus did not have friends that were women. So, Well, that person should read their Bible. Right. I mean, that's the obvious first bit of advice I want to give. Listen to this from the beginning of John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. That is an incredibly... Mm intimate gesture now one has to be very careful not to impute anything inappropriate to that but that is in any culture a Mm -hmm. very very intimate gesture and it's interesting the criticism that comes at this point judas iscariot one of the disciples he was about to betray him said why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor it doesn't raise any question Mm -hmm. about appropriateness of the intimacy of the gesture the problem for Judas is they could have sold this right. this mm-hmm. this uh, stuff for money. Now that's a very very intimate gesture. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine in my congregation if, sure. if a woman came up and <laughs> you know wiped my feet with her hair, that would be seen by many as very inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to go there. Sure, sure. But but the point I want to make is that's an intimate relationship that exists between Jesus and this woman. And that's what the text, one of the things that the text is clearly pointing to there. You don't allow people that you're not close to to touch Mm -hmm. your feet. Well, Mary's at his feet in just about every occurrence we see her with Christ. (laughs) She's at his feet in her house, which he is amazing, accepts that invitation. She throws herself at his feet after her brother dies. And again, what we have here as you've suggested, is not necessarily that the text is pointing out something that ought to be normative. No. But right. the point is that it happens, it's clearly portrayed as something that's appropriate. In and that pure. Moment. It happened and in pure. all purity. Yeah. And 
there is not then a corresponding rule there to say now Jesus had this contact, but you must avoid now all kind of contact. Don't have friendships. In other words, Mm -hmm. there's not an answer in the text that swings the pendulum in an opposite sort of extreme, if you will. Now, again, and I'm saying this, and I happen to be a guy who's fairly friendly towards the Pence rule, not dogmatic, but fairly friendly in it. And I'm still saying that some of the guys who are dogmatically in favor of the Pence rule, I think they're getting it wrong. Yeah. I mean, I would say about the Pence rule, what it seeks to safeguard is absolutely correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to make it the 11th commandment. Yeah. Right. Everybody, I think, has to use their common sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. Knowing the kind of things they themselves are vulnerable to in order to make sure that they don't place themselves in positions of inappropriate or unacceptable Mm -hmm. temptation. But one cannot simply take the Pence rule and stick it in as the 11th commandment and then say, well, any Christian who disagrees with this clearly has a Mm -hmm. flawed view. That's legalism. That's not Protestantism. That's legalism. In general, I would rather have a conversation with a woman in a coffee shop than at my church office. Right. Now, the church office will have an air of more professional detachment to it, but it's also possible for that moment to be, well, not just possible, that moment will be much more private. Mm -hmm. And so I I have, I have met women in my church at a coffee shop when they've had a theological question. I've met students from the university in coffee shop for questions. And to your point, Carl, you know, young men as well, I meet in open public Mm -hmm. spaces. Part of it, because I like that, and I like to get a cup of coffee in the middle of the afternoon, but also (laughs) it's public, and that's where I typically meet friends. And that can also send a message to the woman in a positive way that I can be trusted. You know, you don't have to worry about, you know, any shenanigans. I'm not worried about her scandalizing me. Yeah, yeah, like, we can have a nice casual conversation here. Most people working in the professions of some kind, if they rise to any level, are going to find that they have to have a private meeting with a member of the opposite sex. I I did when I was uh, in administration at Westminster. And most people in those situations don't have affairs with those people. (laughs) It's not as if, oh, wow, I was a lonely woman. I'm I'm going to have an affair. No, there are a whole host of complicating factors that lead to affairs, Mm -hmm. of which... The private business meeting on your own with somebody is only one factor. And I I think we need to keep that uh, in mind as well, that not every meeting, not every woman, not every man is a source of irresistible sexual (laughs) temptation. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of times, like I kind of talk about some different ways that we have blind spots that could lead to bad behavior Mm -hmm. and bad behavior in different ways, not just sexual having an affair, but even in avoidance, people that we should be caring for. And one is that I think very often we confuse attraction with temptation. Like, I don't think we know how sometimes to, to discern godly attraction and rightly orient our affections in that way. We automatically are trained by the world and also by the church, I think in reaction to connect that with, uh, the sexual consequences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's one also thinking that we'll never be tempted. Right. You know, the person who blindly thinks that they can go anywhere and do anything with no fences at all yeah. ever and thinks that they'll never be tempted. Well, that's not probably an accurate self-evaluation mm-hmm. there. Right. But then also that we expect marriage sometimes to fulfill all of our relational needs. And I think this is something I stumbled on in the beginning of my marriage that I was glad I noticed because I just bought into the whole, you be this godly wife, this biblical womanhood thing, and your husband is going to fulfill like 
everything that you need intellectually emotionally he's going to shower you with attention all the time think you're beautiful and wonderful and if you do what you're supposed to do he'll do that it's like the great exchange and I think that affairs can easily happen that Mm -hmm. way because then your spouse is going to fail. That's way too big of a burden that they could ever carry. And I think friendships with same sex and opposite sex really help in that area because we have a lot of layers to us. And ultimately, we look to Christ. And if we're oriented right in that way, then I think it helps us to have a proper view of other people without over-sexualizing everyone. Yeah. And I think that's kind of at the heart of what's at the heart of your concern on this, you know, the dogmatic insistence on the Pence rule. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think part of your objection to that is that it inherently will treat women in particular Mm -hmm. as as, as a temptress almost. Mm -hmm. And that if I'm alone with this woman, if I'm meeting with someone, if we have a meeting, that kind of thing, then, you know, she's obviously going to want me and desire me uh, (laughs) because that's the way she is. And so that it's a reducing, it's a dehumanizing almost. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say this, though, I would say pastors have to be, I think, in some ways, especially careful in terms of this, just because pastors might have to build some fences where non-pastors won't have to. And this is why, because when a guy's up there preaching every week. And I've seen this over and over again. Guys way uglier than I have ended up having multiple affairs as pastors because a hurting woman, a disturbed woman, an abused woman will look at him, idealize him as this godly man when her husband isn't and become infatuated with him, which a man, a non-pastor preacher won't be idealized. And so I do think that pastors have to be aware of of that aware that they can be idealized even if they're 50 pounds overweight and bald they can be idealized in a way that could put them and somebody else at risk and so they just need to be wise about that and that's one of the reasons for instance i don't set up long-term counseling relationships with a woman alone because i just want to be aware of what potential Areas well, even my husband as a teacher, same thing can happen sure. there. Sure. And, um, you know, one, exactly. yeah, I, yeah, exactly. one thing in our marriage that we've talked about both ways that I think is wise counsel, and this isn't like, okay, if you do this, then you're going to have an affair, but mm-hmm. this is something we take care to talk well about one another, especially to the opposite sex, though, and to never complain, share our problems marital problems Mm -hmm. with the opposite sex like i go i'm gonna go to a woman for counsel in those areas and he's gonna go to a man for counsel that's just common sense that's common sense i mean there are a lot of common sense things but these are deeper issues that you need to exercise maturity Mm -hmm. and proper love not not, avoidance we're not talking about friendship there you're talking about specific things yeah this is like a basic question can men and women be friends is different to should a man be in an intimate long-term counseling relationship with with a woman you know and i think again part of the problem is we have people out there who simply don't make distinctions that need to be made yeah throw throw maturity and my big thing in the book is that you know we have the sexual revolution going on right now Mm -hmm. we're extremely concerned about that right And and the church needs to be a voice in that but what's happened i think is that the church has swung the pendulum and we have over-sexualized people in the church. And basically, we're saying the same thing as Billy Crystal 30 years ago, that men and women can never Sally. be friends yeah. because the sex part right. always gets in the way. Right. So why do we have the same message as Hollywood? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why aren't we looking to 
we are going to be having resurrected bodies in eternal friendship yeah. as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's our longest lasting relationship mm-hmm. that we will have. I'm not going to be married in heaven. You know, I'm not going to be having babies in heaven. My longest relationship is actually that of friendship. Mm-hmm. So how can we model what we are becoming yeah. well? Yeah. Well, thanks very much for joining us today for a discussion that I'm sure will provoke absolutely no controversy whatsoever. Oh, and let me add, Carl, that if you happen to hear, for instance, any kind of strange little pastor from Indiana weigh in on this, there's a good chance he hasn't read the book. But I digress. (laughs) I I have no idea who you're talking about. uh, Anyway, thanks very much for joining us. We hope you'll uh, uh, come back uh, next time. Please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, and you'll find there the chance to, to win one of our premiums, which is Amy's book. What's it called again? Why can't we be friends, Why Carl? can't we be friends? There you go. Memorable title. Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends, comma, Carl? <laughs> so, so please go to the website and enter for a chance to win, and we will uh, be with you next week. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about there, grace of God, I would go. I mean, I could see in a church if I were an elder and all of a sudden I found out a youth minister, your first reaction is, what are we going to do about it? Protect. It's not the first reaction is, what do I do about this child? We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. And this is not a come on in any way, shape, or form. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. That's not true. I have a number of men friends and there is no sex involved. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You only think you do. <laughs>